Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, it's Isaac. Hope you're all doing well. Now, if you've listened for some time now to In Doubt, you'd know that our our mission is to bring the gospel to the many relevant issues of life and faith that we face every single day, cultivating conversation. So I hope and pray that after this 25-minute conversation, uh, you'd then go and talk about justice in the ordinary things with, you know, friends and family and just people that you know. Anyways, as I said, we have the great honor of talking with Tony Marita today. Throughout a conversation, if something comes into your mind that you feel would benefit the conversation somehow, then please tell us, you know. You can tweet us at Ministry. that's our uh, Twitter handle, or message us on our Facebook page. But without taking up any more time, here's our conversation with Tony Marita. Uh, with me today is Tony Marita. Tony is the pastor for preaching and vision at Imago Dei Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thank you, Tony, for chatting with me today. Thanks, Isaac. Great to be with you. Uh, before we get into the topic of our conversation, uh, why don't you just first, you know, let us know who you are. And specifically, uh, I always love hearing, how, how did you meet Jesus or how did Jesus find you? <laughs> and, uh, and where are you and what are you doing now? Yeah, so I was born in Detroit, Michigan, um, but moved to Kentucky when I was small. Um, grew up um, with a dad who, who was not a Christian. He was a hardworking um factory worker. My mom was a Christian. Uh, she took me to uh, church services when I was young, but uh, never really understood the gospel until later. And I went to college, uh, went to a small college in Kentucky on a baseball scholarship. And uh, my sophomore year, uh, I was a shortstop and uh, our second baseman, Stephen, was a Christian. And uh, through his witness, uh, I became a Christian my sophomore year. It was really a dramatic um, conversion in many ways. Uh, a very rebellious uh, uh, lifestyle. Was was not interested in God, the Bible, or anything to do with Christianity. He just lived a, a very attractive, uh, grace-filled Christian life in front of me. Uh, had a, had a tremendous impact on my life, and the Lord used him to to bring me to Himself. Then uh, I started just sharing my testimony a bit and um, attending Bible studies and began to see that I really loved to teach the Bible, to to preach, um, talk about God's grace, but didn't really know what I was doing. And uh, my junior year, I uh, met a seminary professor from New Orleans who, who came up to speak at our school for three consecutive nights. And that was the first night I'd ever really sat under really good uh, Bible teaching and uh, my heart just burned within me, kind of a Luke 24 experience. And I said, that's what I want to do the rest of my life. And so uh, I ended up finishing my degree, um, played four years of, of baseball, and then moved to New Orleans to uh, study under him, to study uh, expository preaching. And uh, there in New Orleans, uh, I mean, my life was really transformed in many ways. Learned, you know, the basics of uh, an evangelical theology, but also learned what it was like to live in a hard city, 
Um, uh, eventually met my wife uh, through some summer ministry experiences. We got married. Um, I worked uh, in the city. She was doing, uh, she was actually leading uh, senior adults on mission experiences in New Orleans. Uh, I pastored in the city. Then we went through Hurricane Katrina. Um, we then started a lot of uh, kind of uh, disaster relief kind of social initiatives. Yeah, and then uh, through a series of events, I had wanted to plant a church for a long time. And um, six years ago, uh, we we were looking at cities um, uh, in between kind of New Orleans and where I'm at now in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, we adopted five children. We have uh, four from Ukraine and one from Ethiopia. We uh, were looking at mid-sized cities, really, with a lot of college students. I thought we would appeal uh, to them. Uh, so this is a great area for that. And so we started Imago Day. Uh, about six years ago, and the church has uh, really done well. Uh, in addition to that, I've been teaching uh, at a seminary in uh, Wake Forest. And um, yeah, so that's where we're at now. And along the way, I've written a few books. That's awesome. No, I love that. And, you know, uh, recently when I was just doing a little bit of study on you, I just, you know, went to your church site and saw that you're going through Romans, which, you know, that's that's awesome. So I listened to the fir- your very first one, and it's great. Oh, yeah. So uh, it's good. You're doing a good work there, especially, you know, any time in our culture, uh, any time a pastor is just preaching the word, I'm just, my heart rejoices. So uh, Amen. Amen. <laughs> thank you for that. Um, so, yeah, you, you mentioned that you've written a couple books. So you wrote a book a couple years ago called called Ordinary, um, How to Turn the World Upside Down. And, you know, as I started to read the introduction or the foreword or whatever, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you were approached to write this book. And at first you're like, no, I don't want to do this, you know. And then, you know, anyways, (laughs) tell us how and why this book really was written. Yeah. So I was telling someone the other day, I I have about, uh, I think, 12 books in print, and I didn't set out to write any of them. Wow. Um, I have three books on preaching, and uh, one's kind of a revision of, of the, the bigger one. And that was, you know, I was approached to write that because I was teaching preaching uh, at the time and uh, decided to write it. I was really young. And then uh, I was approached to write a book called Orphanology after uh, some folks heard me speak on the subject. And I said, I don't know enough about orphan care to write a book on it. And I said, I'll, I'll team write it with someone. And so that's what happened. And then Dr. Uh, Danny Aiken had this idea that we would write commentaries together. It wasn't my idea. And we've been able to, you know, put out a bunch of commentaries. So Ordinary was kind of right in the middle. I was actually writing a commentary on uh, First and Second Kings. And um, uh, they said, we would like for you to write a book. This was a B&H Publishers. And I said, um, I don't really have the time. I don't really, I've been writing enough books. You know, I've got five kids and one wife and a church and a job and, you know, (laughs) and they said, well, write a small book. And I'm like, okay, uh, I could probably do that. So um, they wanted me to write something on justice and mercy ministry from a a gospel centered uh, evangelical perspective, really a kind of a a book that would uh, relate to uh, the ordinary joke. Okay, um, not not so much a, a big theory of justice and mercy, and not a big book on uh, the stats of, of uh, you know the needs around the world, um, but but more of a if in fact the, the original title was everyday justice, um, like how how do we how do we do neighbor love um, within the ordinary rhythm of life? Um, there's a quote in in the book that turned the publisher uh, around on the title and we ended up calling it ordinary but it's a, it's a quote from Steve Timmis who's in the in um in England who says that 
most most ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. And so uh, we really communicate that a lot at our church, just basically to say that ministry is not so much about adding something new to your life. It's really about living with intentionality uh, in, in the world you already live in, you know? Um, and so, um, because they had this, this in mind and because I was communicating this, this, uh, missional, uh, identity to our people, I thought, okay, it would be good for our church to write for me to write this. Um, I remember hearing Tim Keller say something like, uh, for a pastor, don't feel the pressure to write books. Um, write, write stuff. If you're going to write, that's going to help your church and not not books that are going to take you away from your church. And so I wanted I wanted this book first and foremost to be for our people and um I wanted to kind of solidify some of the things we were saying. So we took, you know, some uh practical ways you can you can live with a gospel intentionality to do word and deed ministry, things like orphan care and advocacy and neighbor love uh and hospitality, prayer. Uh tried to weave in a lot of uh stories of uh individuals who are, you know, not uh, in vocational ministry, uh, stories from the past as well, from uh, some of the heroes like Will William Wilberforce and, and uh, MLK Jr. and others. Um, and so, yeah, that's uh, how it came to came to be. That, no, that's awesome. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because the, you know, the, your original title, uh, Everyday Justice, when someone would read that, and if I would have read that first, I would have gotten the idea, okay, this is going to be about justice ministry, right? But, you know, it's this ordinary title. So to be honest, you know, I wasn't really expecting this book, even after reading the little synopsis, to really be about justice, caring for the oppressed and advocacy and stuff like that. So when I first read that, I was like, oh, great. You know, this book is going to encourage just ordinary Christians to sort of live out their, you know, you know, God-ordained lives in their homes, in their work, their communities. But after kind of reading your introduction, I was sort of taken aback by the clear and true fact that a Christian who truly is living out their God-ordained life, it, it has to include that justice and mercy. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, to me and to everyone listening, can you so- sort of explain this in a greater way that all Christians do have a duty to actually, you know, do justice and care for the orphan and all that kind of stuff in their lives? Yeah, I think uh, in many ways, you know, every book's written in a context, obviously, and we have, in a lot of books, are reactions to uh, a perceived problem, you know. And and for me, my book is more of a book geared toward the evangelical world. We, you know, we t- the, the mainline to liberal segment of uh, Christendom tend to really focus on uh, neighbor love and social causes. And uh, I've, I've always admired uh, a lot of their work, but I, I'm a, you know, I'm more of a, well, I am a conservative evangelical that believes in expository preaching. And I mean, we're going through Romans, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I, I come to the conviction about neighbor love and about doing justice for, for the same reason I have the, a conviction about church planting and uh, global disciple making and prayer and uh, because I see it in the Bible. And um, I've just I've been bothered by a lack of emphasis on um, social ministry from uh, an evangelical um, uh, uh, Christian perspective. Even when you read uh, a lot of spiritual discipline books on like how how one grows spiritually, they they tend to focus on a lot of inward personal disciplines, things like prayer, fasting, scripture memory, um, you know, stewardship, things like that, which are all super important. Um, 
but uh, rarely do you find anything on uh, caring for the poor, uh, caring for the orphan, the widow, as a means of spiritual growth. Um, and so a part of my uh, pitch and, and uh, proclamation on this subject uh, recently has been um, not only do the, the poor need you, but you need the poor. And I, I think you see this in places like Isaiah 58, a great chapter on uh, caring for the marginalized. When Isaiah says, if you do this, then uh, your light will go up like the dawn. Uh, then you will experience healing. Then you will be refreshed. It's, it's like revival and renewal actually come when you offer yourself in sacrificial service and not just sitting at a desk praying. Um, so part of me wants to see the church unleashed, not only for the good of the poor, you know, but also because of what I think it can do to them. And um, I feel like what part of the, the challenge has been in, in trying to talk about caring for the orphan, the widow, and so on, has been a pushback that this, this turns into the social gospel, we'll end up losing the gospel, and, and those type of arguments. Um, but I, I think that's a, that's a product of this binary culture that we live in, um, you know, where if you affirm one thing, people automatically think you're uh, affirming uh, the opposite, or that you can't right. hold two things together. And I just don't see that being a problem for Jesus. I just see him, <laughs> you know, loving neighbor and preaching the gospel. And I don't think, you know, the Christian wakes up and says, which one of these should we do? I think we just go out and we say we should love people holistically. Um, and as we're giving them water, we're telling them about the living water. As we're caring for the orphan, we're telling them about a, a father who adopts mm -hmm. children. As we're uh, clothing people, we're telling people about the righteousness of Christ that is ours. Um, an integrative model of mission, I just think, is desperately needed in the church. Uh, and to uh, to stop separating what what God has joined together, so that that was that's the context from which I wrote it, and um, it, it really it's it's uh, it, it also came out of my own experience of being convicted by a lack of involvement personally in uh, caring for the orphan and, and widow, um, and so it's in some ways a public apology and repentance <laughs> of my own of of come on, the church can make a, a, a massive lasting difference uh, if we will start to live with intentionality and sensitivity. Yeah. And then, you know, you you read, recently I was actually interviewing a, the director of church mobilization for Inter International Justice Mission up in Canada. And awesome guy, Mark Wallenberg, awesome. And, you know, he even brought to mind scriptures like Matthew 25, when Jesus makes that super, like, he's not, you know, separating these two things at all, that when you are caring for the poor, you are doing this to me. And yeah, you just can't get away from it. So I think that's that's really cool. And also, uh, Tony, I should say, even just from reading your introduction, I was convicted from your conviction <laughs> because, you know, you're, you're saying that, you know, you always thought that, oh, yeah, you know, social justice work, that's for the liberal theologians and everything like that. Um, and I, I, I got to, you know, confess that I've thought the same sort of thing. And uh, so I'm, I'm talking to my wife after reading this, uh, reading this in your book. I'm just talking to her about it. And we're like, man, how can how can we do this? Like, how can we, you know, uh, care for the or and we're like, what can we do? And then, you know, it clicked that our landlord is a widow. So it's like, hey. Here's like here's this great opportunity. Let's invite her down for the dinner. Like let's let's do something, you know. So anyway, so thank you. Like God, well, I thank God through your book even for that. So I think that's really it's really cool. Well, yeah, what I'm trying to say in the book is like those uh, dinners that you have. We we look at them as very you know non spectacular, right? 
but lives are changed around dinner tables. That's good. If, if we'll begin to see that, you know, you just look at the, the ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, like he's he's eating with people regularly. Yeah. And we, we tend to minimize that because I think we're addicted to sensationalism in, in the church, and we, we like mm. the shock and awe and the conferences and, you know, the big names and so on. Um, but the reality is the Lord often works through those dinner conversations. That's so good. That's so good. And, you know, you think of, I'm sure you know, uh, Rosaria Butterfield's yeah. uh, testimony. That was, again, the pastor just invited her over, you know, for dinner. Yeah. So that's where it starts. That's that's so good, Tony. I love that. Um, yeah. And I mean, you touched on this already, but let's, let's kind of pour into it a little bit more specifically. M- many Christians, and I, I think about the, uh, the Christians that are around my age in their 20s and stuff like that, um, you know, they, they sort of believe they have really busy lives. You know, they, they're getting married, they have school, all these different things, their jobs, and they don't exactly know how they can do those dinners. You know, I guess they're still thinking in the big sense, not in the dinner sense. Um, but in the midst of all that, what are some ways that, you know, that you sort of encourage your church, your college students in your church to do justice on a daily, weekly, so on basis? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question, man. Um, so I think, um, well, when some people, uh, come to us at our church, uh, church people who, who've been at other churches before, they'll, they'll, they often ask questions like, how do I get plugged in to a Mago day? And I often say to them, go eat with people. And they, they, they normally want a program or something. And, and I'm just saying that you eat, don't you? Like, do you eat a couple times a day? Like maybe you could eat with someone. Is that a possibility? Um, and I, and my point is, um, living with intentionality involves really just looking at your life and and asking, uh, what what am I already doing, and how can I fill it full of of gospel intentionality? So for for me, it, which is just me, it's not everybody else. I coach baseball, uh, eleven and twelve year olds, and th- that's just uh, it's it is coaching. It's fun. It's sport, but it's also a great missional opportunity for me to uh, meet families and and like we've already mentioned, having them over for dinner or whatever before or after the game. It's remarkable the kind of impact that sort of thing happens uh, that that can happen. Um, we've encouraged our people to think through their networks. So uh, networks like uh, their family network, their um, vocational network, their recreation network, um, their commercial network, uh, where they shop. Um, and I'm leaving one out. Um, but to look at but to look at their lives and look at geographically, I think that was the fifth one. Um, who, who's in your neighborhood? Uh, like you said, well, your landlord to look at where you're working out or where you're playing. And again, just look at looking for ways to live with intentionality and, and to start small. I, I feel like this is part of the problem again is that we want to, if we, we tend to think if we can't eradicate human trafficking, we shouldn't even try to do anything, you know, or we're not ever going to, you know, solve the orphan crisis. So why bother? But I, I think like you've just mentioned, that's a great example of starting small. And it's it's amazing what can happen uh, if we'll just be faithful in small things. Um, the other day I was shooting basketball. My son Joshua and um, uh, we're Kentucky fans, and Kentucky players tend to go pro after you know their first year. And uh, <laughs> he looked at me and said, "Papa, should I go pro after my freshman or sophomore year?" <laughs> you know, he's in sixth grade. I'm like, "How about you make the middle school team first, okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think we we tend to have that sort of. Uh, ideology in our heads at least i did as a as a young dude i didn't want to do anything that was small everything had to be huge um 
but I'm just saying, man, look for opportunities in your neighborhood. Look for the, the snotty nosed kid who's riding a bike in your neighborhood all the time and his parents doesn't seem to be home or, you know, look for the elderly in your neighborhood. Uh, is there a program in your neighborhood after school tutoring? Um, the, the, there are places, there are pockets, there are people that, um, can really uh, benefit from our, our basic neighbor love. And it's amazing what it will do for our own soul if we'll be intentional. That's good. That's so good. And Tony, how does how does the gospel and the theology of the gospel encourage and empower us as we go and do this as well? Well, I think this is the big this is the big difference from what I'm saying on social ministry and what um, you know others uh, in a different if a different world are talking about when they talk about social ministry. Um, the one of the reasons the gospel is so important is we're not earning our salvation by by caring for the poor. I fear that a lot of people believe that. And so um, motivation matters, not just our action, but our, our motive matters. Um, but the, the, the reason why it's important for somebody who, um, do, you know, believes in a classic orthodox, you know, uh, doctrine of salvation, it's uh, working the gospel into our hearts will keep us from uh, feeling superior to the poor. Um, because in the gospel, uh, we are the poor, uh, when having nothing to bring to the table. In the gospel, we are the orphan, and God has adopted us. In the gospel, we are the widow, and Jesus has become our groom. Uh, in the gospel, we are the sojourner, and we've become part of a kingdom of priests. Um, we, if, if anyone I should identify with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless, it's Christians, because in the gospel, that's us, you know? Um, so the more I work the gospel into my heart, the more sensitive I become, uh, to, to these, uh, to these folks. Uh, the, the more, the more I begin to see myself rightly. Um, and really the more joyous it becomes, it becomes less of a burden and, and more of a, uh, you know, uh, an opportunity um, yeah. to to express the the coming kingdom of God, which is another piece of this, um, to to put on display what our King is like, uh, what this kingdom that's going to come is going to be like, uh, and it's a it's a privilege to be able to be part of that. Cool, I love that. It's great. Um, as we, as we wrap up here, Tony, I, I thought it'd be cool to um, sort of ask this question. You mentioned in your book, uh, you know, that before God sort of uh, you know, the Holy Spirit came and convicted you of, you know, your lack of a maybe practical aspect of doing justice. You know, you, you thought you were sort of doing Christianity pretty good. You know, your pastor, your professor, you had a marriage, all these different things. Uh, how would you encourage Christians to stay humble and open for when God does come and convict, because he surely will, um, and teach them as they as they grow? Yeah, that's a great question. It could be answered in many ways, but I'll just mention um, the the first thing that's popped in my head. We we all have blind spots um, in our in our lives, and and part of my problem was I was swimming in one particular uh, you know vein of Christianity, and there's so many tribes, and I'm talking of solid Christianity. So many solid tribes within you know faithful Christianity, and uh, and it's a the, the body of Christ has benefited by by all of them because a lot of them have various strengths. 
And um, you mentioned IJM a while ago, like they're doing such great work. Um, you've got uh, other organizations like Compassion International um, that are doing great work um, that these are more known groups, of course. Um, and then you've got, you know, kind of uh, tribes that are known for great expository preaching, gospel center preaching, theology and so on. Um, and I just had had not paid attention to kind of the the a broader segment of evangelicalism and it was to my own peril. Um, and I think it would, it would benefit all of us to befriend, uh, uh, Christians, uh, who are not like us. Um, I, I think we grow best when we are with people who are different from us because they're asking different questions. I think this relates to race, for example. Um, I'm more sensitive to uh, racial issues uh, when I have friends who are, are not white, who are in my house, who, you know, put their feet on my uh, chair and, and open my fridge and, uh, you know, get involved in my life. And uh, I think, as one of my friends says, iron sharpens iron best across lines of difference. And if, if we're not intentionally getting uh, in places where, uh, you know, we're the minority, or, or where, uh, you know, people are not, at, or where people are asking different questions, then, um, I think, it'll, I think it'll stunt our growth. It's, it's good for us to be around people who are very involved in, in good social ministry. It's very good for us to be involved with people who, who love the Bible and sound theology, because really, I think we just want to conform the whole of our lives to the whole of scripture and not reduce it to, uh, one particular, uh, uh, expression, if you will. So for me, it's just been, it's been good for me to, to, to listen to, um, and, and you don't have to agree with everything everybody says, but to be open, to be mindful, to be a listener to the larger body of Christ, um, uh, and, and pray that the Lord will give you discernment, uh, and make you more like Jesus in the process. That's so good. Thank you so much, Tony. Well, um, what I'm going to do to our listeners, if you are interested in Tony's book, uh, Ordinary, or his other 11, I mean, you can surely just go <laughs> online and uh, and search them. But for Ordinary, you can always go to, do you know the website there, Tony? The, the easiest thing to do is to go to Amazon, man. Okay. You know what? Let's just do Amazon. This is the easiest. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so go ahead and do that. I'll put the links to that on our episode page as well. But Tony, let me just say once again, thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciated your wisdom. And uh, yeah, I just I thank God for the work that he's doing through you over in North Carolina. So thank you so much. Thank you, Isaac. I appreciate it, man. I'll be looking for that invitation to Vancouver as well. Awesome. Definitely. <laughs> If you enjoyed today's conversation, I'd encourage you to check us out online and sift back to see our other important conversations as well. Also, connect with us throughout the week. Head to our Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to see you there. Anyways, if you're interested in making a donation, head to indout.ca if you live in Canada or indout.com if you live in the States. Well, that wraps up today's episode. We hope you join us next week as we host another conversation on life and faith. We'll see you then. much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
In Doubt is a ministry of Good News Global Media designed to speak into faith, life, and culture. These are challenging conversations for young men and women who have chosen lives for Jesus, while at the same time are constantly engaged by the culture and philosophies of the world around them. It causes us to ask about the relevance of the Bible, how to engage our world, how to share the gospel, and perhaps the most difficult question, how does the young follower of Jesus live a holy life? Join us each week as we dig deep into faith, life, and culture. For more information about InDoubt or to offer a gift of support to this young adult ministry, visit InDoubt.com or call 1-844-663-2424. Thanks.